You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is the fastest growing social media app for outdoor enthusiasts. If you love to hunt, if you love to fish, camp, hike, if it has to do with the outdoors, you're going to love Go Wild. Now, here's how you download it. It's very simple. All you have to do is go to Google Play Store or wherever you download your apps, find it, search for Go Wild, download it, and instantly you will be part of the community. And what is this community all about? It is about the outdoors. You're going to love it. If you have more questions, check out the website, timetogowild.com, and uh, download the app. It's time to get wild. Thanks for joining us on another Land and Legacy podcast. This is the Hunting Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Dye. And we have got a pretty cool little timely hunting strategy podcast planned for today. Um, Adam's not with us right now. He had to, uh, he's got some big priorities to take care of. So um, he's sitting out this podcast. But again, we've got Chad Keith sitting in um, this week. Chad, are you there? I'm here. Fantastic. Um, so probably as you guys have seen, you've, you've looked at the title, and this podcast is all about the conditions, hunting conditions that we are looking for, for kind of that dream scenario, late season hunting. Um, I, I still think, Chad, you probably have you know, a similar thought on this as well, but late season never gets the credit that it truly deserves from a hunter's standpoint. <clears throat> No, no, a lot, a lot of people are done hunting by then. And that's, I mean, honestly, as, as it's, a, as my years have went on, this is probably some of my favorite time to hunt. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. It's kind of like the last week of turkey season for us here in Missouri. Like if oh, I was yeah. to ever invite someone out to hunt Missouri, I would say just wait till the third week. Like, Hopefully we'll scrounge around, we'll find the birds, really, you know, get some patterns down. Uh, we'll, it comes in, it's like, wait till the third week, uh, especially the third weekend. Exactly, exactly. And and historically, we've done extremely well on the last weekend. But uh, everyone wants to, not necessarily jump the gun, but underestimate the power of, of waiting until the season, knowing, I guess, those biological characteristics of, of what's happening, whether it is deer or turkey, um, and then just that drive of uh, the season. Maybe it's the well, pressure I, I people think, get worried about. I think a lot of people, I think they do overpressure a lot of their stuff. There, you, you have people that are itching to hunt 
early season. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody wants to go hunting, and you see people are hunting day after day after day. And then by the time gun season's over, they've pressured their deer so much that it's all they see on their cameras is nocturnal movement yeah. or any movement at all. And they're like, well, I'm not wasting my time and going it. Well, and people don't like cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very I mean, true. honestly, people don't like cold. So, yeah. well, before we dive completely into that um, and, and just dissect that and pull it apart pieces, um, real quick, a couple of reminders. Land Legacy Apparel is here at landlegacyapparel.com or go to landlegacy.tv, the website, and click the store tab. You can find it out there. Conservation caps um, are $28 a piece, but $5 of each one of those hats goes back to the corresponding conservation group. So we've connected with QDMA for the whitetail hat, NWTF for the National Turkey Federation, the, the turkey cap, the strutting turkey on that patchwork. And then we've also connected with Quail Forever on the quail hat. So pretty cool stuff. There will be additional apparel coming out relatively soon. So we'll uh, be sure to update you on that. And um, that sh- hopefully will be here right around the holidays. A um, couple other things. Social media handles, um, Facebook, Instagram. Be sure to like, subscribe to YouTube, leave comments, let us know what you guys are thinking about um, the podcast, and be sure this week to come back on Thursday and look for the For Love of the Land podcast. We are adding to the Land Legacy content on a weekly basis, so We're starting a new podcast. It's called For Love of the Land, where we are focusing everything, all of our time, on land in general. Yes, we've got the Habitat podcast and this hunting podcast, but this is taking a kind of a step back and doing a broader reach um, of land enthusiasts. And this is not going to be just Midwest or, or anything like that. We're going across the country. It's a little different setup for us as well. And we're going to be interviewing land agents and land professionals across the country talking about their properties that they have listed. Sounds maybe a little boring, but I promise you it's not because everyone has the American dream of owning land. And so we're going to be highlighting some of the best properties out there in addition to bringing on guests who are subject uh, matter experts like guys who uh, maybe own a timber company. Um, in Alabama, or maybe some people who know ponds or fisheries inside and out, and that can this is just a resource for everything revolving around land um, for a place to go to. So be watching. We're gonna have again agents from Iowa, Kansas, North Carolina, Indiana, Ohio, and everywhere in between coming on weekly and give you snippets of some awesome properties natural resources that are going on in their area, uh, maybe some hunting regulations, just some cool things um, to give you a broader understanding of land. So that's coming. We're super excited to release that and hope you guys will follow along with us on that podcast for Love of the Land coming out Thursday. Chad, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Late season hunting. You know, we talked about earlier on the fact that it doesn't truly get the attention that it deserves. And I think that there's always been so much buzz around the rut 
and the possibilities, if you will, of uncertainty with the rut. As in, you know, you can have incredible success without putting much effort into the rut. As in, deer are naturally increasing how much time they're spending traveling around and daylight activity is at its peak. So you don't have to necessarily... We've all heard the stories of the guys that, I mean, gun season in the rut, walk out, jump deer all over the place, sit down five minutes later, kill a giant. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why people love to hunt the rut. You, there's, you have new deer move in. Mm -hmm. You just, it's always the unknown. It's, it's an unknown. It's a guessing game. And if you spend enough time in the woods though, chances are good that you are going to have great success at, um, killing a a good deer just because there's so many out there and they're, they're, they're all up and moving around. Um, Unless you're me this year, and then you see zero <laughs> zero red activity whatsoever, no matter how often you go. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little disheartening because after adding my kill the second and the third of November, you took off. You know the next really good solid week and had a lot of time to spend, and we had good weather too. But yeah. you know, just check in with you kind of daily. Hey, what'd you see this afternoon or this morning? It looked like good wind, or you know. But you just weren't having the observations that you would expect to have, and setting wow. up good. I, it's just like, what in the world is going young, on? Young deer chasing does, yeah, or random does just running through like they were being chased with nothing behind them. Yeah. That was that was my whole week before gun season. Ugh. That was pretty much sums it up. Well, and that's that's the crazy thing because right back to what we just said is. You could have had one more sit, and you could have sat all week and had very little activity, no encounters with great bucks. The next sit, first five minutes of light, boom, could step out, yeah. kill them, and it'd be the best rut you've ever experienced. You, and, like, it's and that's just why, wild. That's why everyone likes to hunt the rut. <clears throat> I mean, I've had years where we used to go to public land in northern Missouri, mm-hmm. and we'd hunt the whole week, and you might see some good deer, but you never did get a shot at stuff, and then come back the day before gun season and think, oh, this weather's too good, I've got to hunt, yeah. and then have – one of the best hunts of your week in Southern Missouri mm-hmm. have deer chasing everywhere. And it's like, man, this is awesome. That's, that's what you look for in the red. But that's then you exactly also right. have weeks where you see zero activity like that. Yeah. I think, I think that your lack of observations or good, good hunts during the rut is because you went to Colorado again on public land and killed an elk, a bull elk. Yeah, The, <laughs> the, la- the last time I did that, I shot a doe on the January 15th, the final day of Missouri bow season. And that was the only deer I killed. So that's it's kind of one of those, somebody had asked me the other day about if, if I'd killed anything yet. And I was like, nah, uh, not really. No. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's really, I'm, I'm not bummed yet. I've got all a late season. All a late season. That's the thing though. They talked about is it takes preparation. I think to truly set it up that when you get the weather, during late season, you have a lot of eggs in your basket, basically, to be super successful. And that's why I think, it, you know, that the lack of, uh, you know, the chaos that happens in, in late season, a comparison to the rut, um, it doesn't entice that many people. Deer are a little bit more predictable. Um, and like, okay, bedding to food, he's coming out here, he's coming out then, or he's getting there just before or just after dark. Um, you know, it, it's just not like that all of like I, I just sat down and heard three bucks grunting and chasing this one doe it's it's a little bit more predictable a little more organized however successes often come 
or come to those who are prepared for late season. And that for us is planting um, food plots and or doing great TSI and having a lot of um, winter browse for deer. And that takes yes, time to and, set up. And it's, it, it's also a product of, I mean, which we haven't had the weather yet since gun season really, but how often have we hunted? Very, very little. And it's, I see people just itching to go hunting. And as soon as gun season's over, they're still hunting every day. And it's like, if you're still pressuring the deer, you're not going to see the late season that you could have. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's a big problem. And that's what, I mean, we're getting, we're getting quite a few daylight pictures right now. But it's great caliber deer. Yeah. And it's still one of those. You just, you're, we're still waiting a little bit. Mm -hmm. We've had some days that we probably had a chance. I mean, we, you and I saw that really good one that we would like to see grow another year. Yeah. Yeah. But come out well within shooting light. Would if we had chose a different blind would have had shooting opportunities at, um, so right. Even, even this close to, uh, post rut and early December, the deer are still doing that for multiple reasons. It had been cold. Uh, we did get some good weather. We've got great food resources for late season, but we have also that other big factor to it. We haven't hunted and we haven't pressured deer. We've just been sitting yes. back, letting them do their thing because what we know it happens every single year, whether, whether or not it happens during daylight on your property or not, we know for a fact after the rut shuts down deer bucks, especially go right to food sources. They make that big initial switch of what they're doing um, movement-wise, and they go and focus that movement around great food sources. Again, it may not be during daylight, but they have to to help rebuild their body in preparation for harsher winter months coming. So it could just be— That kind of gets us into the the title of this podcast Mm -hmm. of— the ideal conditions that's yes. honestly what we're kind of waiting for and i mean we both we all love to hunt and that's why like i've hunted public ground mm-hmm. i've hunted another farm that i can hunt yep staying out of staying out of this key area this key farm that we have left very little pressure on just waiting for the right conditions so let's these break down perfect weather. Yeah, let's break down these weather conditions and and kind of give like a best case scenario. And we'll, I'm sure there's a there's a few things we're going to agree on and probably disagree on just a little bit just based on past experiences and the past movement that we've seen. But however, the topics or the the conditions that we want to cover and talk about are temperature, um, weather fronts, pressure, wind, clear versus cloudy. Um, those type of things, and, and we're going to, again, break each one of those down and discuss that best scenario for late season hunting. If the pressure, as in the hunting pressure, has been really low, what we would expect to see and hope to see an encounter. And I know we've, we've each got a couple uh, good stories that we've had success, success with um, over the past couple of years that, that we want to share and Describe those weather conditions and why deer decide to move during those time frames. So first off, temperature. And, and we're going to break down even one more time after talking about temperature. And, and is the temperature before you hunt and after you hunt? What are we looking for um, in that window, in that time frame? So, Chad, 
temperature is huge. It's late season. We all know that deer have to regulate their body heat. And when temperatures drop, they need to forage more so they have more energy to regulate their body heat. So as temperatures decrease, the activity and amount of time that they spend foraging increases. We know that. That's just science. It's going to happen every single year. So with that being said, in my opinion, I would like to see temperatures. I'd like basically like to hunt the later portion of a good three or four day cold front for the fact that it gets tougher and tougher as the days go on for the temperature, tougher for them to basically forage um, and, and maintain that energy level because they're putting so much more on a daily basis into regulating, maintaining good body heat. So I think they forge yeah, this, more. The, the longer three, four days the in. longer that cold is on them, the longer they're having to go through that. The more that they're having to eat, it takes more to, calories to stay warm for longer periods of time. Because I mean, it's like you have a big cold front move in, mm-hmm. big cold come in. A lot of times, that's when it's extremely windy, really cold. The conditions are brutal. They're not moving a whole lot then. Yes, yes. But we've all seen, we've all seen like those hunts where it is just blustery, it's nasty, it's cold, and there is the opportunities to have success in those conditions. However, I think in the past, because of those nasty, nasty conditions, we're like, oh, I'm going to weather it, I'm going to brave it, I'm out there, (laughs) I've got my buddy heater, i got my hot hands, I'm getting in a blind out of the wind, I'm going to do it, and then you're just disappointed because of the lack of deer movement in those conditions when you're expecting it because it's so nasty and bitter and cold that they're going to move their tails off. But there is, if you will, a threshold that they're not going to want to move out of their warm beds, though, either, or or maybe the sun's shining on them. They're not going to want to move out of those beds to get cold so they stay bedded quite a bit longer than what you might expect. Yes, and that's, I mean, it's... Any of that stuff. I mean, if you were, if you were a deer, would you want to be out in that walking around in a blizzard? When you think about their senses, mm-hmm. their sense of their sense of smell, the wind is just ripping by them. Their sense of hearing, everything's the the wind is blowing like that. All their senses are hindered because of the conditions. Yes. Yeah. Invisibility. Um, if there is snowfall, it's it's tougher to see. So they're everything's diminished and, and it's easier for them to get uh, taken advantage of in those conditions. So it's best for them to stay in a warm bed in a good spot. Um, and, and at that, those times too, they tend to bunch up and herd up because of those conditions. So they got the deer facing and bedding in different directions, watching for predators and, and all kind of, they're all taking care of one another. So um, I think that that's important. Like you said, Chad, early on is, the worse the conditions are as maybe a front's moving in or just breaking through, that may not be necessarily the best time frame to be hunting. Um, if you will, once that cold front has come in and settles in and those nastier, blustier conditions seem to subside and calm back down and now you just have good cold temperatures, that's when they think, the time to hunt is when the time to get out there is because 
Now they're getting up on their feet and having to move because they've been bedded down because the conditions weren't greater in their favor. And you see those big pushes to quality food resources. Yes, and that's what we, I mean, like last year we were seeing that. The right. deer were really hungry, and we've had multiple days of cold where it was just like, you finally hit that threshold where they started to move out. You weren't seeing as many, but there was a push where it was just every night, like, man, there's more deer coming out here this this time. It was almost I mean, like, yeah, you could count like, and this is a big field too that we're, we're both going to be talking about. Um, that's always great during late season, but <clears throat> like the first night it was like, ooh, 35 deer. Next night, like, holy cow, I saw 45. And then it got to like 65. It's like, Oh my gosh. But the more intense and the longer that cold front stayed around, the more deer moved in and had to come to that food source and did so during daylight hours. Them and the turkeys. <laughs> that's at, that's where we saw the snow goose in with the turkey flock, which was wild. He, yeah, he stood but, out like a sore thumb. Which the landowner said he'd never seen snow geese in that field. It's I don't know. It's bizarre. I don't I don't know what that thing was thinking. Maybe it got a steel shot rattled its brain up further north. But uh, it was definitely in a flock of turkeys. We got footage of it too. And and as the turkeys moved off the field to go and and, and roost for the evening, the webbed foot snow goose followed cross barbed wire fence and followed the turkey the flock of turkeys up through the timber and then we lost as it went over the hill but it was just this white speck just moving in this cloud of black up the hillside <laughs> i don't know if it ended up roosting with the turkeys or not but oh it's funny Let's so yeah i mean i guess we're looking at ideal i mean if you want to look at the ideal temperatures for this for light season i want it honestly i want it as cold as possible I want it as I mean, cold as I can bear it. I'll bear it about as cold as we'll get. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Again, because you know that they're going to move oh. during those conditions. And like last year, it got down, um, or as a high, it was for three or four days right in a row. It happened to fall during muzzleloader season. But it was like 14, 15, 16 degrees. And for us, that's cold. Um, other well, parts north the night, of us, <clears throat> I mean – We'll get to the story, but the night that I killed, mm-hmm. it was negative one when I walked in to go and and haul the deer out. And that that's real temperature, correct? Yes, that was real temperature. Negative negative one, and I had ice through a mustache and goatee. <laughs> and but I I killed a good deer doing it. Yeah, that that was kind of like a south central Missouri hunt, and again, that's super cold for us. Um, but when it comes down to that temperature, if whatever your average is, um, anytime it dips below that average by 15, 20 degrees for extended period of time, that is super exciting. Something in your region, you know, respective to your region's average, that you need to be keen into and figuring out what that quality food source is to be able to hunt over because day two, three, and four of that cold front Wherever you're at, deer will absolutely be feeding. There's no question that. Well, and the the other condition that we had leading to that, and I don't I don't know what your list was, how how far this is down the line, but we also had snow early on in muzzleloader season. Right. To where there was a good covering of snow, to where 
this was a a, a wheat cover crop mm-hmm. on and then alfalfa in the other part of the field but they were coming to this wheat and it was sticking up above the snow so that was the easier food right and it had been on for days and days to when when i finally killed the snow was just about gone but they were still in that mode of moving to that field to feed yeah absolutely and and as we share more about that hunt here in just a few i want to remind people that like you weren't hunting directly over that food source either you ended up having to because of the the behavior of deer late season, they're also very skittish and coming from multiple different directions, um, usually to a large, large food source like that. Um, it was best to cut the deer off and limit your exposure to that food plot and the, not the food if, plot, the field. If I would have been sitting on the field, like we had, I mean, we were seeing deer on the field. Absolutely. But I would have never seen the buck right. if I would have been down on the field. Right. From And that's the other thing. In, in large um, food resources late season, it typically, if you're in an area that, that has very few, it's going to pull deer in these types of conditions from a long, long ways. And that's why in this area, we're seeing so many deer come into that field. And so for deer that are traveling farther distances and not banging right up against that food resource, for them to get there during daylight hours is tough. So you opted to move off the food resource and hunt a great like travel corridor where you knew you'd have an opportunity long distance shot with the muzzleloader if need be to spot deer coming across a pasture before they got into this ag field. And that's exactly what happened. Um, yeah, I get. I guess I could go ahead and we could go ahead and share that story. Might as well. I mean, since we're all, we've pretty well touched on it. What, what the deal was, there's a big bottom field that had been cover cropped it was corn silage, and then they cover crop it in wheat. And then there's, it's a half half of the field is that, and then half of it's alfalfa that they were hammering all fall long. And we had sat on that field multiple nights, and, mm-hmm. and we're seeing a lot of deer coming into that field. And right at dark, we would see a couple that were bucks, but you just never could. We couldn't get shots at them, just different things and and. Finally, I decided that night, I was like, okay, I'm cutting them off. The way this way this field lays, there's a hill to the side of it that is timbered, and then there's a pasture on the top of the knob. It's just a sl- the side slope is timbered, and then it's pasture. And the pasture next around, and both, there's two strips, that, there's another strip of timber on the other side of it, and they both corner close within probably 80 yards, you think, Matt? Yeah, I'd say that's, yeah probably they corner it about an 80 so a lot of the deer we decided were coming across they were bedding on a south facing slope on the neighbor on over and they were cutting across that field at the smallest point that's corner so, corner basically yeah so all i did and there's a drain that comes mm-hmm. up on both sides too and so all i did was walk up and bundle up and <laughs> i sat I sat beside a down tree overlooking that pasture right there as the deer were cutting across and they actually might have came to the field earlier. I, if I was sitting down there, but when, when I first saw the buck, he was the first deer to come out. There ended up being eight or 10 deer total in that group. He was the first one to step into the field, but at the same time, this is a, 
a pasture that actually the cows i don't know if you had cows in that pasture at that time but it connects with a bunch of other pastures and the landowner was actually feeding cows in the backside and the deer could see him a couple hundred yards away and it got nervous and walked back into the woods Mm -hmm. and then just almost right at dark towards the end of shooting hours they they couldn't take it anymore and finally decided to cut back across and he was yet again the first deer coming and i shot him and i mean with a muzzleloader and he didn't go 60 yards a couple so. important things off of that is is finding out where the majority of those deer are coming from and basically heading them off at the pass cutting down that distance and time that they have to basically reach that destination food source before the end of shooting hours um that was super key and then and then playing like we talked about the temperatures and and doing getting more aggressive as as the cold front went on um but knowing that later on more deer are coming and more bucks are going to be coming um and that that late into the basically cold front that's when we found the most success um, saw the most deer coming and knew, okay, inventory-wise of which ones were coming, how many good deer. Basically, yeah, we had a pretty good idea. I mean, we'd hunted that field enough nights that we had a pretty good idea where the bucks were coming from. Mm-hmm. And it could, because I, I mean, even where I was sitting, I could hear deer coming below me going into the field. But right. I was I was committed to the deer that were coming across at that corner. No doubt. No doubt. And it worked out. And I think, you know, going on to the next basic condition, you kind of talk, talked on it, um, but the weather fronts themselves, the the changes in weather that, that bring on these cold fronts, and that's the biggest question is, okay, do you hunt before, do you hunt after? And that story is a great in, indication of hunting after once those have set in oftentimes late season yields the best results. Yeah, they might they might change with differences in pressure pretty decently as that front is coming through or just prior to it and in anticipation for that front. But once it sets in and you know it's kind of a longer-term cold front, we see the most success after that front passes. Um, next one is pressure. And I think there's still a lot to be learned about you know barometric pressure and deer however i'm from the the maybe it's old school of thought but the higher the pressure always seems like the more deer you end up seeing in a sit um yeah that's what i'm if i remember right it was high pressure then because you'd had that front come through and then it was everything cleared out it was clear and cold of course if it got down to negative one (laughs) i mean it was it was you know, really cold. It was that high pressure after a front comes through yep. and turned off bitter, bitter cold. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not to say that even in um, a cold front that, that doesn't bring a high pressure system like after it, that you couldn't have success. We're just talking ideal conditions because oftentimes late season, that temperature, I, I think I would put the most weight of success that you would have it, to me, late season is based on temperature. And then once you can get all these other um, factors or variables that influence the, the day-to-day weather, once you have more of these aligned, I think your chances increase. But to me, the foundation of success late season comes from the, the 
basically decrease in temperature. Um, so I'm totally agreeing with you there, Chad. High pressure, um, you're going to see the most most results. Um, wind, wind is a big thing. Um, and kind of talked about it in the blusteriness of winters um, and what that can do to to deer um, and deer movement itself. And I I don't mind hunting higher wind days when it's not as cold, like a November, October. <laughs> But when it comes to December, not as big of a fan. And it, no, that a cold winter wind just cuts right through you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you you really have to bundle up, and it it will expose anywhere that you have weak clothing on. It absolutely does. I mean, it, instantly. It, it it is tough on deer, but like what we talked about earlier is. Oftentimes, when it's super blustery and those conditions aren't in their favor, they just don't typically move that that much. And, and again, when we see a lot of deer, higher social stress of a lot of deer in a destination food plot or destination ag field, and that wind is swirling and whipping, they're so on edge because a deer from across the the field may get a little spooky, thought he might have smelled something since it's blustery, the wind swirls quite a bit. And the deer can just well, and it's clear. It's field not even like swirling; just it it knocks a limb down, blows a limb out of a tree. We we kind of talked about it pre before we started the podcast that it, it seems like sound seems to carry when it's cold and 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 brisk like that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when you put that many deer on a field, that that many old does on a field, you're going to have them they're going to find something to blow and run out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I and mean, you can have the wind perfect in your, in your, in your favor the whole time, but something about them, they're just, they're, they're on edge. They're high intensity and some, something's going to see something it doesn't like, and then just bust out of the field and more will follow. Some don't, they don't always clear the whole field, but soon enough, you have enough daylight, they'll trickle right, trickle, trickle right back out. But it's just this weird atmosphere of so many deer, in these uh in these areas that they're just they're finicky it's almost like they're looking for something to run out because of correct i mean that's what this field the field that i killed that one in has a road on one end of it now it's a Mm -hmm. huge field but it wouldn't matter how far the deer are up there if somebody pulled down there in the winter and stopped it was just a guarantee they were going to run white white flags tails going everywhere oh every time or now, they, or if the people shot at them, like I've had that yeah. happen to me before too. Yeah. So. Now, on the flip side of that, you don't want it absolute zero, no wind either. And you've got a good story to um, talk about that. But when it gets that cold, and you don't have any wind, sound travels so good and so clear. And you know, so, with a with a uh, muzzleloader, it's not as much of a problem. But if you're bow hunting, that's that's when you get into the trouble with the zero wind Uh uh-huh and you have to have them in tight range wise yeah and that's where you have to you really look at your clothing what you're wearing you've got to have stuff that's somewhat silent and that's i mean the story i was telling you was was on public ground years ago and had found a, a food plot far off far off the parking lots that the deer were coming to and went down found a tree 
unfortunately, somebody else, it was a cedar tree, and somebody else had hunted it before me. Mm-hmm. And they trimmed their trimmed their limbs to, to shoot, and rather than trimming above, they trimmed below so that they could see out in front of them, but you had no cover if deer came down below you. Right. Well, sure enough, close to dark, first deer coming to the field, mature buck. Mm. I get all ready. It steps out at like 15 yards in the food plot and I go to draw. And of course it was, I mean, stone still out there and I draw and every it hears <laughs> oh, every, everything. It was bitter, bitter cold too. I go to draw and it hears every fiber of my clothes move. Yeah. And it bugs out, looks at me. I'm wide open because the guy had trimmed the lame, the limbs below me. Mm-hmm. It runs to 30 yards, and then the limbs that were hanging down blocked me. Oh, gosh. So it's standing there at 30 yards looking back, and I can't shoot it. Boy, that's right. No matter, I was to the point of almost sitting down on the platform on my stand trying to get a shot at it. Jeez. And, yeah, that was, I, I had a chance at that deer one more time, and I had what we just talked about, a late-season doe blow that one. She got nervous over she was upwind of me mm-hmm. got nervous and blew as he was coming in and they all ran off but then i i shot the doe the next night yeah yeah that was back to when i had yet again i've got a ton of leaves so i can hunt late season when the weather's right that's it that's it and you're constantly watching that weather basically from here on out through, through the rest of the season of okay in advance four or five days in advance really watching um see when these fronts are going to be moving in from the north and, and from the west to be pushing this awesome weather one other um variable that we want to talk about is is the difference between clear and cloudy days i'm from the school of thought um just in observations and going back to just that biology of deer that i want a clear day to hunt um because usually when it's clear it gets colder and it's colder nights because there's not clouds locking in what little bit of heat um, you know, the earth's surface had had that day. It, it won't block it if there's no clouds there. So usually it's colder, but w- what the other advantage is, is that this, there is more s- warmth or radiation from the sun on a clear day. So deer will come out to openings, i.e. food plots, late uh, destination ag fields, and, and soak in some of that warmth that they can get. So they move a little bit earlier and com- combine that with the high pressure day and cold temperatures, clear, mild wind. Like that is like the perfect day to me because they're looking for any additional uh, resource that can bring them warmth. And that sun definitely plays a big portion to that. What do you think? Well, the, the other side of, of the sun shining too is something we deal with we deal with here in Southern Missouri that like the guys I work with don't deal with in Arkansas is our hardwoods have no leaves. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a tree late season, these does that are just looking to pick something off will silhouette you like crazy. But a benefit to the sun shining is you can get to where you have your stand in a shadow of the tree yep, and use that to your advantage to where they don't see you. Or if you're sitting on the ground, you're in the shadows. You can, you can use the sun to your advantage, no doubt. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So all in all, what is your perfect ideal day for hunting, Chad? Late season, December or early January, What do, what is that day like? I'm looking for bitter, bitter cold, like a five to ten mile an hour wind just because then you also know it's consistent. Mm-hmm. High pressure, clear day, snow on the ground oh. with a lot of food out that's drawn the deer in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you I mean, have that's... a food source, uh, a preference if you had to pick one, what would it be? I mean, no doubt. I mean, it's standing beans. That's the, the preference. Now, how often, I mean, it depends on how often you get that chance to hunt it. Sure. But standing beans, brassicas have been pretty good in the past for me. That's mm-hmm. the public land, the public land food plot that that mature deer was going to was, was brassicas. Nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's what, that's the benefit, I guess, to the way we plant our food plots and the blends is we have the brassicas there for late season. You have some, some stuff in the food plot that the deer are feeding on throughout the year. Exactly. Exactly. But I you're mean, still able to hit uh, and have high quality forage late season. That's going to be palatable and still attractive for these, for these conditions. And not every year you get these conditions, and that's a little bit of bummer, bummer for us in our area. Not all the times you get, you know, no, where it gets 15 degrees at the high for a couple of days in a row. That that's kind of rare. That's that's why we get so excited when we do get snow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like we haven't had a good snow, and we had some snow up at Lebanon last year. Right, but down here around the farm, we haven't had a good snow to hunt. No, no, and it's like. And we've got a lot of food this year, so it's one of those where it's yes. it's a lot of acorns too. Mm-hmm. So you kind of hope we're hoping for some snow to cover those things up. Exactly where the food plot, based on the height and the standing grain of, uh, gosh, we'll be sitting pretty knowing if there is snow coming. Uh, I'm just excited. I'm giddy almost, and I don't even know what's going to happen yet, but I'm I'm giddy for the opportunity. That uh, it's set up, and basically, you know, you're just waiting for this perfect storm to uh, to occur. Well, and the the bad thing is our our the weather people in this area are forecasting. I think they were saying colder than average and right. and average to much above average snowfall. And it's like, yeah, we're not going to get it when they're when they're <laughs> yeah. calling for it. You might yeah. as well guarantee we're not going to get it. That's exactly right. Well, Chad, I appreciate you coming on, um, filling in for Adam again this week, and um, I'm sure we'll have you back on. Hopefully, this weather around here is going to get right, and we'll have another success story uh, that we can share with everyone listening. So, thanks again. Guys, please like, subscribe, um, leave a review on Facebook, iTunes. We are still watching those. Uh, we talked about that last week. You know, we're, we're covering those, uh, reading through them. So if you guys are sharing stuff on social media, leaving those reviews, we're watching. We've got those hats um, that we are looking to send to some people. So, um, And also, also, if you do have Land Legacy Apparel, tag us in social media posts that you guys are making. We want to share that um, with everyone on our um, social media handles and stuff like that. So please tag us. Um, We want to see that success and uh, appreciate you guys listening. We will catch you guys next week.